Well, I'm really delighted to be with you and uh, to speak to anybody online as well. And uh, I hope that you can hear my voice. Uh, the one thing that I was born with was quite a strong voice. The only talent really that I ever had. And uh, I am grateful to be able, this is my first time, that I could take the mask off in the church. So I feel very liberated. He's worried about the microphone. Um, and I just need to change my glasses so that I can actually see what I've got down here. Good. That's okay. Good. Good. So I hope that the uh, screen will come up in a minute and uh, I'll leave them to... Yes, I can see that it has come up. Now, well, I came to the church uh, back in uh, 2008 here, and it wasn't long. Uh, we'd just come back from Botswana, where I'd been working for uh, eight years, and uh, we just chose to come here. And I came to the church, and there was actually... Will Mansell came to me one day, and he heard that I'd been working in, in uh, Botswana, and then I was actually, at that time, also working in Mozambique, and I used to work for six weeks and then come back, and uh, I always remember, and I know that it makes um, um, Peter really embarrassed about this, because I was sitting, sitting in the church one day with my wife, and Peter came up to us and he said to, to Jennifer, oh, uh, are you two in a relationship, or something like that. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I said, well, we have been for 40 years, you know, and, uh, <laughs> Uh, he's never lived it down since, but uh, we were very, and understandably, because I was away for six weeks at a time, and they therefore perhaps wondered who I was that turned up. And then Will Mansells uh, heard about what I was doing and travelling, and he said, my, you live a very exciting life, Ian. And I, uh, and I said, yes, it is very exciting. And actually, following Jesus is exciting. This story that we're going to be looking at today uh, about Paul and Silas is an exciting story. It's a wonderful adventure. So if you've never followed Jesus before, I can tell you that when you follow Jesus, it's an exciting life. The interesting thing is that... Uh, just, just a moment. I think we've just gone too far ahead, and I want to just slip back a second. Here we are. Good. So you will see that we've been following a series here and we've been looking at a, a different things. People of promise, people of truth, people of grace, people of vision. And this week it's people of commitment. And it's about uh, the, the story about Paul and Silas. Um, they're travelling and so here you can see that's a bit of an adventure there. I don't know whether you like travelling. Um, I quite enjoy travelling. I haven't been travelling all my life, but uh, since I've been following Jesus, I have actually travelled quite a lot. And uh, you can probably see here the map of uh, Turkey here in the middle. It's the old names here. In the time of Paul, uh, they were speaking the Aramaic language. And amazingly, uh, it was seen as the language of the common people. You know that even Jesus spoke Aramaic. And uh, so it's nice to give you a little bit of history uh, to, to put the setting in there. It wasn't until Ataturk came round in about 1900s that he decided to insist that everybody in Turkey 
would start to speak the Turkish language. And in fact, actually, you could be fined and put in prison if you were using the old Aramaic language. But so for Paul, it was quite good because it's a bit like traveling with English today. I don't speak any languages. Um, if someone doesn't understand, I just speak a little louder in English. And I find that seems to do the trick. But um, nowadays, you can travel with English and you can get to most places. And uh, so that's really good. But in those days, Aramaic was, was very good. So we traveled all this distance. Any idea of the distance that they were traveling there? Well, it's about a thousand miles. So that was pretty exciting. Of course, you didn't have a plane, you didn't have a car, didn't have a bicycle. Uh, you might have had a, a, a horse or something, but it's likely that Paul and Silas actually walked the whole distance. And that was some adventure, wasn't it? that he set out there. And so I think it's quite exciting. Uh, you can see some of the places that you may have been to on your holidays. Um, I just wonder if you can see where they are, but actually as we've gone back to there, it's obviously, you can see that I'm not quite so used to this. It's not going as I wanted, but we will, I can work by hand if it comes to the point. So like our theme, Paul was a man of commitment. In fact, if you look back to what Paul was doing right in the very beginning, he was actually persecuting Christians. You know, there are some people like Ikeda who were persecuting Christians. And Paul was a bit like that. He was a very religious man. He was trying to do what he thought God was telling him to do. And he was going around finding Christians and putting them in prison. Or, in fact, he was at the feet of when they stoned... Um, uh, who was that? Stephen, wasn't it? And uh, so he was doing that. But one day on the road to Damascus, suddenly he encountered Jesus. And it changed his life around. And he found that instead of going that way, he was going the opposite way. And you know, it's a wonderful thing that uh, when you encounter Jesus. I told you before when I was speaking that uh, I, I encountered Jesus when I was quite a, a young child, about seven or eight. And, um, but it wasn't until I was about 16 that I really encountered Jesus in a deeper way than ever before. I realized when I got to 16 that um, I've been quite committed. One of my reports said at the school, if Ian puts as much effort into his work as he does his sport, he might do very well. And uh, that was the best report I ever had. My parents always were hoping that I would have something better. My brother went to grammar school. I went to secondary school. I managed to get one O level in metalwork. And uh, I came to leaving school, and it was quite difficult because there were lots of people trying to get jobs at that time, and I realised I'd actually got nothing. And I remember praying to, to the Lord in my room, and I said, Lord, I've actually got nothing at all. I've got no gifts. I'm not one of those really brainy people who are going to university or doing other things, or going to be a lawyer or an accountant. I've actually got nothing. Can you do something? with my life. And I did, I remember shedding tears and praying to God, I give you what I've got, because it's nothing really, I've got nothing to lose. And I said, I want to follow you. And you know, from that day on, I've always been seeking God's guidance. And it's been quite an amazing journey. There's been lots of struggles, and there's lots of difficulties, 
But now I've become committed to Jesus instead of committed to sport. I still love sport, but Jesus comes first in my life. I wonder what you're committed to today. Maybe to your family, to sport, work, travel, pleasure, fitness, music, your bucket list. Well, you know, the most important thing to be committed to is Jesus Christ. Because if you're going for all those other things, that's really second best. You might enjoy it for a while, but Jesus is the greatest thing and can satisfy you. So Paul's life was completely changed when he encountered Jesus. He made a commitment to Jesus and to serve him, and he became a disciple. There are lots of people who say they know Jesus. There are lots of people who say they'll pray to Jesus. But there's not so many people that will follow Jesus every day in their life. I love to, have, to pray at the beginning of the day and also read a chapter from the Bible. And it makes all the difference because I find that Jesus is guiding my life. In Luke 9.23, Jesus said to uh, his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Take up their cross daily and follow me. So it's not my choice, but it's God's choice. Now you might think that's a great sacrifice, but I've found that actually Jesus knows me better than anyone because he created me. God created me. He knows all about me. He knows what's best for me. And he knew what was best for Paul too. And you know that when you do that, you find things start to happen. Things start to change. Although I had nothing, actually, Jesus started to guide me. And I remember that first year of leaving school, I got an apprenticeship and, uh, in a company, and uh, I went to a meeting, a youth meeting in London, and there was uh, uh, some young people singing, and I was challenged to want to go on a camp to Youth for Christ. And so that first year, when it came to holiday time, I took my holiday to France. So people might have said, oh, well, not so much about holiday. You weren't on a beach sunning yourself. But I have to say, it was one of the greatest holidays that I had. And then the next year, I went to Holland doing the same thing. And we were uh, spreading the gospel wherever we went. And we were singing about it and speaking to people about Jesus. And then I went to Germany the following year on my holidays. And then from Germany, I went to, uh, to uh, Finland, Helsinki, and the following year to Sweden, all during my holidays. So actually following Jesus gave me all that travel, which I would have never been able to have done otherwise. Now, guidance for Paul came in a vision, and some doors were shut and others were open. I don't know whether you've found that ever, but when you're following Jesus, sometimes things that I want to do, sometimes the door is shut. And it's quite difficult at that sort of time. Well, for Paul, it came as a vision and telling him not to go into these areas, but to, to go a different way. As a young person, I was praying about that uh, it wasn't really a very good job. It was probably the worst apprenticeship you could get in the country at the time. But actually, someone who knew me said, oh, we know a Christian company that are looking for an apprentice. It was in London. And they said, why don't you go up and see them? So I made the arrangements and I went up to London. And it was so exciting because this company were building electronic sound studios. 
and uh, they were taking them out to Africa, setting them up, and uh, they told me that, you know, as you get older and more experienced, you'll have to go to Africa and you'll have to set up this sort of kit. I thought, wow, that is absolutely fantastic. And so they took me to, co to a college and they said, now, we need you to sign up for the college. And I said, oh, that, that sounds really good. And uh, I went back and told my family how wonderful God was. He was opening this up. And then two weeks later, I had a letter. And the letter said, I'm sorry that the directors have decided they're not taking anybody on at this time. And I was really upset, as you can imagine, as a young person, because I thought, wow, this is the way God's leading me. But then, as it happened, the door was shut. And I said, Lord, why, why is this? And I, I got the feeling from God that God said, I'm in charge of your training. Trust me. And so I did. And then it went on a little bit further. And a little bit later on, I found that actually I was not so bad at singing. So I joined a very large choir in London and I was having singing lessons and I managed to win a few competitions as well, which was pretty amazing. And I thought, well, maybe God wants to use my gift of singing. So I applied for a college in the States to do music. And there was a church that were willing to sponsor me. And there was a church out there that would find a job for me to work in. And I applied and eventually I had a letter back and I was refused to go to the college. It was shut, the door again. So that was quite upsetting at the time. So there were a few things like that, but then there's been times when the door was opened. I remember praying about my marriage because I wasn't sure, even in those days, lots of marriages weren't lasting, even in churches. And I said, I knew a very nice uh, young lady called Jennifer, and I said, Lord, is this the right one? I'm not sure. Can you help me and guide me? And he said, yes, it is the right one. And we got married, as many of you had met Jennifer. And uh, we went uh, from there. And uh, we weren't sure what to do. So both of us prayed to God, we'll go anywhere, Lord. What do you want from us? We're happy to go to mission organisations or what? And as we were trying that, we had a letter from Bristol. And the letter said, uh, Jennifer had been on teaching practice in Bristol. And the letter said, uh, we have a friend who has a house that she wants to sell it to a Christian couple. And they want £1,500 for it. Well, we were living in Surrey. And I said to Jennifer, it was not very good faith on my part, but I thought, well, this house, you know, what is it, 1,500? It must be terrible. I said, unless it's got three bedrooms and space for a garage, I don't think we're interested. Now, it's terrible of me to say such a thing. And then we wrote to them, but the letter came back and said, yes, it did have three bedrooms, and it had 28 foot of land on the side of it. It was an end terrace. We went down, and it was a miracle. And we went and had to get a mortgage because we needed to do some development on it and build on it. We went to the building society, it was the Methodist building society in those days, and he said, wow, he said, I've never seen a house at that price. I said, we believe it's an answer to prayer. He said, well, I'm a Christian. He said, but I've never seen an answer to prayer like that. <laughs> and uh, so it was that we began our journey and came to Bristol. And actually, but it took seven years to build that house. And there was a lot of work and there were times when I had to pray, Lord, I just don't know what to do and how to do this, etc. But there it was, it opened up. And then while I was down there, then I had to do day release and training. And I continued doing that. 
all those years. So God opens doors like that. I wonder if you've asked God about anything. You know, you could ask him what you want, and it doesn't matter what age you are, because God will answer. If you commit your life to him, then he will give you guidance. And guidance can come in so many ways. I always think that as a young person, I always found this was really helpful. That read the Bible regularly because you can get your answers there. But also check with the witness of the Holy Spirit that that can guide you whether it is there as well. And then sometimes circumstances, as I've shown you, that sometimes the door can be shut. Proverbs 3, 6 says, In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your ways straight. I put a little lighthouse up there because when I was younger, I was taught that when a ship comes into harbour, uh, and you needed a pilot on board, they would line up three lights to make sure they got a good entry into the port and didn't run uh, aground on any of the rocks, etc. And so those are the three things that always need to be in alignment for guidance. So that's something for you to uh, think of in the future. When you're following the Lord closely, we are likely to have challenges. And uh, you will have seen that actually there were challenges for uh, Paul. First of all, we heard that there, he was going around and everything was running quite smoothly. And he had this fortune-telling girl that was following him and shouting out, these are servants of the Most High God. Actually, you might have thought that Paul and Silas thought, well, this is wonderful marketing. I mean, it couldn't get better, could it, that someone follows you every day and shouts that out, and therefore perhaps a bit of a crowd were gathering, and so forth. But actually, it's interesting here that what might have seemed to be positive was actually not positive, because it was actually coming from Satan, uh, that. And uh, Paul got really upset about it in the end, and uh, you know that what, hap what happened, he actually became... Uh, cross and actually commanded her in the name of Jesus that Christ to come out of her and immediately the spirit left her and the story was we just read her owners were incredibly upset about that because they'd lost their income this girl was doing all sorts of fortune telling and they were getting a lot of money in in those days it was quite a popular thing to do to find out what the future was should I do this should I do that and they were always going to the fortune teller and therefore they suddenly found that this girl was in her right mind and she couldn't tell fortunes any longer. So they were really cross. So they grabbed hold of Paul and Silas and they dragged them to the magistrates without really thinking. They stripped them, ordered them to be beaten heavily and thrown into the inner jail and placed in stocks. So it was a bit of an adventure. They'd done all this wonderful travel. Now they're, they're work, uh, serving the Lord and suddenly this. And you sometimes think in your Christian life, when things go awry, why has all this happened? It's sometimes very difficult. But you know it's important for us to keep our eyes on Jesus. The amazing thing is, I think with, uh, with Paul and Silas, that at midnight, after being beaten, stripped, thrown into jail, feet in the stocks, smelly in the centre of peace, they're actually praising God and, and singing worship songs. I mean, how incredible is that? I have to say I'm not sure that my faith is quite as strong as Paul and Silas. I do find it difficult, you know, sometimes. And sometimes when it's difficult, I might have been there shedding some tears and thinking, well, why has this happened, Lord? But actually, you see, Paul and Silas actually counted 
that they had done something that had been, because they'd been following the Lord, that they'd been following him, and therefore what they received was because of that. And they counted it a pleasure to have done that for Jesus. I think that's incredible, and I find that I can't line up to that at times. But I have had difficult experiences over the years. Uh, maybe I do think of, uh, uh, I had uh, a lovely, wonderful life with, with Jennifer all those years, but you know that just over six years ago, when actually my work was uh, uh, dropping down a bit from overseas, working with governments and, and in education, and we came back from a holiday in Portugal, and uh, she said, well, I, I, I think there's something wrong. And in fact, in the summer, she had told me I, she felt that she had done everything she could do. It was a strange thing when you look back. And actually, when she went, she was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And uh, the consultant said, well, look, um, we'll, I'll see you in about three months. That was in the, uh, the, almost at the beginning of December. She died in the January, as quickly as that. And you do ask the Lord, what about this situation, Lord? Why has this happened? But you learn to trust. Because of all those experiences in my earlier days, I'd learned to trust the Lord through difficult and hard circumstances at times. Many I could tell you about. But I knew that what I could trust was the Lord. And he had felt it was time to call Jennifer home. I thought my world had ended then. And I thought, well, what else have I got when you've lived that long with somebody and you've been so close? But very quickly, after she had passed away, the Lord said, I haven't finished with you yet. There are still things for you to do. And uh, so that's why I'm still traveling. Anyway, what happens in, in the prison is wonderful because there's an earthquake. Mind, you might have thought that wasn't good news, was it? You were praying and worshipping and suddenly, imagine if this building, we were praising God and suddenly the whole building begins to shake and maybe the floor breaks up, etc. You think, my goodness, what's happening? But actually their, their, uh, their chains fell off and, and it was amazing that God entered into that situation and brought that earthquake at that particular time. And actually then we know that what happens, uh, that for the momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes on Jesus, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So maybe you're going through difficult circumstances at the moment. Maybe you've got some problem or challenge. Maybe it's health, maybe it's situation, maybe you've lost a loved one. But you know that actually it's the Lord that builds the church in the end, isn't it? Maybe our church has gone through some difficulties. We've been through this terrible pandemic. Some people have disappeared from the church. And we think, wow, it's really difficult. But you know, the wonderful thing is in difficult circumstances, God can build the church. He can build you and me. You become a stronger person. As a fact of losing Jennifer, I found that I'm actually much more concerned and compassionate to people than I ever was before. Yes, I'd lost people, I'd lost my mother and father, but it wasn't the same as someone really close. And it changed me, and I trust that it's made me a slightly improved version. The jailer was terrified, and he was about to commit suicide because in those days, if you lost a prisoner, 
your life was forfeit and uh, he therefore thought it was better to commit suicide than anything else and actually calls out to, to Paul and Paul and Silas because they were ready and they were for that moment they were out to say believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved and I think it's a wonderful thing that out of this what a seemingly tragedy incredibly difficult circumstance actually the Lord was building his church Believers require action to follow Jesus and be guided by belief requires action. So you might believe in Jesus today, but actually you need to do something about it. You know, I believed in Jesus when I was quite young, but it took that commitment when I was about 16 to really say, I'm going to follow you wherever. Now, I know that I didn't have anything to offer. And so therefore, in my life, it looked pretty hopeless. But actually, I thought, well, I'll hand it all over to Jesus. And I've been amazed over the years when I look at what God has enabled uh, and given us the opportunities for both my wife and myself, and even since my wife passed away. So actually, belief, we need to do something about it. We do not have to be defined by our past. I was pretty hopeless and useless, and it's difficult to believe that's the case. And I, I do know that some people found it quite amazing that suddenly God had made something of this useless person. And it's a wonderful thing when we give our lives to the Lord, he can do incredible things with you. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. That's the wonderful thing to my mind. Do you know, when I was younger, I was also challenged by the story about Jim Elliot. Some of you older people will know that story. And he wrote in his diary when he was at uh, Bible school, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. This was based on Matthew 16, verse 25 and 24, uh, 26. He went out uh, with uh, his friends and they were going out to reach a tribe in uh, the jungle there in Operation Alka. And they arrived there in the plane and they had gifts to give to these people and to make the first contact, human contact, with this tribe. And uh, you, many of you will know the story of it, that actually they were speared to death by that. And you might have thought, what a waste of a life, that they gave their life, they studied and prepared and then went out to reach these people, these people who didn't know Jesus in Ecuador, and then they're suddenly all killed. But you know, they gave their lives for Jesus. And what happened is that all that tribe came to know Jesus because the wives went back to show the love of Jesus in the situation. And uh, it's wonderful if you've ever seen the film about it because you see one of the men who had done the killing was actually on an aeroplane later with one of the wives flying back to tell the testimony of that. I always think of the story, and uh, I know that I'm talking a little bit of time here, but when we think about commitment, it's about involvement rather than participation. I was told a long time ago when I went to an apprentice uh, prize giving over in Western Supermare at Westland Helicopters, and uh, it was John Adair from the uh, Industrial Society, and he was speaking to people, and it was for management, and he said to them, look, it's really important that you get people involved rather than participating. And he told the story of the farmer 
who had uh, uh, looked after the animals for many years and the farmer was going to retire. And uh, as the, 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 he was retiring, the animal said, well, we must do something for the farmer because he's been so good to us over the years. When we've been ill, he's got the vet in, he's always provided us with the food and he's taken care of us. What can we do for the farmer? And so they made a subcommittee, which was of a chicken and a pig. And the chicken and the pig went away together and the chicken did most of the talking as you might well have seen them doing that. The pig had his head down and the chicken said, I know what we can do for the farmer. So the pig said, oh, what's that? And the chicken said, we can give the farmer a cooked breakfast for the rest of his life. <laughs> That's great, isn't it? And the pig was a little bit dim, but as they're walking back to the other animals to tell them uh, the results of this, he taps the chicken on the shoulder and said, oh, just a minute now, he said, in this decision, he said, you're participating, but I'm involved. Because obviously the pig was gonna have to be killed to actually provide the, the cooked meal. And you know, it's about that for each one of us. You see that Jesus led the way, and Jesus has given us an opportunity to have a relationship with God, and it's only because he gave his life. He had to provide a perfect sacrifice, and although he lived a perfect life, and it was not justified, he was willing to go and pay the penalty of death so that we might have life. Jesus said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it if someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. I wonder what you're thinking today. You know you might be thinking, well, oh, that man's gone on a bit today, but I wonder if you're following Jesus. I wonder if you believe in Jesus. I wonder if you've committed your life to Jesus. He gave everything for you and it's there, free of charge. But you know, belief means you have to take some action. And you can actually do that right now, even while we're coming to the end, and I'm gonna play a piece of music where we have a chance to speak to the Lord and tell him what we want. Maybe you're through difficult circumstances this time, and God wants to encourage you. He can do that right now.